So this morning, I want to talk about Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. The Bible study group on Tuesday has just finished up Philippians and uh, getting very close to finishing up Colossians. But in this Lenten journey that we're all on, I think it's important that we bring the rest of the congregation into this discussion. Because Paul here is talking about perspective. As you are on your Lenten journey and you're looking inside yourself to see what is the nature of God? What is the nature of my human experience? And what is the connection between my experience and the God who created me? And so Paul is reflecting here on his resume. He says... If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. It's a pretty bold statement. Why does he say that? He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. That's a pretty good resume if you're a Jewish man in the time when Paul was saying this. But then he says, Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul's saying, before I knew Christ, I was a Hebrew's Hebrew. My pedigree was impeccable. I came from a good Jewish family. I was a member of the elite tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. I was a keeper of the law. I was a zealot for all things Jewish. 
And he was, in every respect, in his culture, in his time, a model, upright citizen. If you said, I want to be a good Jew, you would say, I want to be like Saul, Paul. If anyone could boast of their human accomplishments, it was Paul. But with all of those accomplishments, once Paul came into a relationship with Jesus, nothing he had ever done, nothing he would ever do under his own power would measure up to who he was in Christ. His best accomplishment on his best day, Paul counted as loss compared to knowing Christ. All the things I once thought were so important, Paul says, those things are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior firsthand, a personal relationship with Him, everything I once thought I had going for me now is insignificant. I put it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. I don't want some inferior brand of righteousness is what Paul's saying. I want that real, robust, substance-filled righteousness that comes from trusting Christ. I want, I want God's righteousness, not man's righteousness. And so it occurs to me when I read that that we spend an awful lot of time in life building up resumes. Think about it. See, I have this theory that resumes in in life tend to be important because of all the things that we want to accomplish. We want our children and our grandchildren to go to the best schools, get the best education possible. Why do we want that? Well, because we know they'll have more and better opportunities because those that are reviewing their resumes... Those that are making hiring decisions, those that are admitting people into the best colleges are looking at resumes. We want to give our kids and grandkids the best opportunity possible. There's nothing wrong with that. Society places a lot of stock in pedigrees. While we don't have actual royalty in this country, think about this. There are some people out there who will watch for hours the Oscars or the Emmys or the Golden Globes because for Americans, celebrities are royalty. Their name means something. Even in this country, even when we don't have royalty or nobility, In certain circles of money and power, having the right family name, attaching that brand to something, elevates your status, increases your opportunities. This is just the way of the world. Now, we may laugh in Shepherd, Texas, about the thought of a person's pedigree or resume. We may laugh at them thinking that gives them a reason to boast in the flesh. But then there are times when even in our small community, we may elevate somebody 
to a position because of their pedigree. It might be the high school football quarterback. It might be the head cheerleader. It might be the prom king or queen. We may elevate them above the average student, even above the average student scholar, as if sometimes these popularity contests are more important than academic achievement. And I think it's important that we understand that Paul is not devaluing these accomplishments. He's not saying that they're not worth anything. He's He's not completely setting aside his Jewish heritage. And so likewise, I'm not devaluing the accomplishments of the award-winning actor or the high school football star or the head cheerleader. Those, my niece is a cheerleader. She's been a cheerleader since she was this big. I think she probably came out of her mother's root womb with a pom-pom in her hand. She's been a cheerleader as long as I know. It's a remarkable accomplishment. She's going to Sam Houston. She's on the cheerleading squad. They, What did they get? Second place at Nationals? Yeah. Something like that. It's, a, it's an accomplishment. It's noteworthy. But what Paul is trying to say to us is that as noteworthy as these things are, compared to knowing Christ personally, they're really insignificant it's a matter of perspective earthly perspective versus spiritual perspective now we can move through this life with our eyes focused on the things of the world more power, more material possessions, more acclaim for our accomplishments Or we can move through this life with our eyes focused on the things that really matter. The things that have eternal significance. And it reminds me of a verse from Hebrews in chapter 12. Where the writer says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, after we analyze those words in Hebrews, we have to ask ourselves the questions. Am I putting my own personal accomplishments? Am I holding them in higher esteem, valuing them more than my relationship with Christ? And am I putting my full effort into this race that is my daily life with my eyes fixed on Jesus? You know, there, there are seekers who watch us as Christians as we go about our day. Seekers wondering about this whole Jesus thing. Wondering about this whole Christianity thing. 
When they look at your life, when they watch you and see what you're about, do they shake their heads and turn away, wondering what's so different about you as a Christian? Can I get the same fellowship from my local bar as I can from going to Bible study? Is it the same to them? Because they don't see a difference. Or when they look at you, do they want what you have? Because you seem to rise above the same circumstances that they're going through. It's not that you're immune to them. It's not that you have the special favor of God who diverts all that stuff away from you. But when you walk through the same stuff that they're going through, you do it with a different attitude, a certain peace about how you go about it. I like to tell the story of when I was in Jacksonville a few years back. I was going to the Perkins uh, School of Theology Extension campus uh, in, in Jacksonville. I was taking a theology course on Wesleyan theology. And I would usually drive up on a Friday afternoon, and then I'd drive home from class on Saturday evening, and I think this was around about my third year in this course of study. And by that time, after the third year, I'd kind of established some routines. So I'd roll into Jacksonville about dinner time, and there was this little Mexican restaurant that was up on the hill. And one Friday evening, I, I sat in my usual pew in the Mexican restaurant, and they put down the, the basket of chips and saw, who, who eats Mexican food here? It should be just about every hand with very few exceptions. They put the chips and salsa in front of you, and they're warm and they're salty, but never salty enough, so you put the little dash of salt on them, right? And the salsa that they had is the way I prefer it, which is cool and fresh rather than heated up. Everybody has their own preference. And I remember at that particular time, it, it occurred to me that just like this year with all the pollen in the air, at that particular time I was just recovering from my annual pollen-induced sinus infection and all that stuff. And I had... I remember I had double ear infections in that year and I, I was recovering from it and I was, I was there in the Mexican restaurant and I could actually smell the food and I had an appetite again and I, it was, I was just praising God that I was getting over this infection and everything was laid out in front of me and I was trying to resist the chips and salsa but each individual chip was calling my name. And I remember I ordered a, a enchilada plate and a side of guac. I was hungry for the first time in, in many days. There's a point to this story, I promise. I, I don't mean to be making everybody hungry, including myself. But when my dinner came, I paused for a moment, longer than I usually pray over my food, and I gave thanks for the gift of healing that allowed me to enjoy this bounty that had been provided out of our Father's abundance. 
And when I finished praying, there was a, a couple sitting at the, at the table uh, right next to me. And um, the gentleman leaned over in my direction. He said, excuse me, are you a preacher? I said, yes, sir, I am. How did you know? He said, you just look like a man of the cloth. Now, I wasn't wearing the, the collar or anything like that. I know I hadn't taken one of those chips and raised it up like a communion weight. <laughs> I hadn't done that. I hadn't raised the salsa glass up. Although it was pretty heavenly salsa, i got to tell you. I, there was nothing that I had done that other than pray over my meal for maybe a little bit longer than I usually do. And trust me, he caught me on a good day. Because that doesn't always happen. I do pray over my food, but I, I, didn't, I don't usually dwell on it as long as I did at this particular time. I hadn't done anything to communicate, to express that I was a pastor, except that he seemed to notice. And he said, you look like a you have that air about you of a man of the cloth. And I said, well, tell me about that because you're right. I'm a Methodist pastor, but what does that, what does that mean? I don't know what that looks like to you. And he said, well, my wife was raised Methodist. We got married by a Methodist preacher who since passed a few years back. And you have that same quality about you. you it was the, the kindness with which you expressed your, your tone to the, to the waiter, the way you prayed for more than just a second or two over the food. You just seemed to have a peacefulness about you. And so it just reminded me of him. And I said, I'm, I'm honored that I remind you of this pastor. I don't know what it is that I would have done to do that, but I'm honored. I think as I reflect back on it, what I was truly honored about was this gift of affirmation that God had given me that someone, someone a Christian had recognized Christ in me. And when I think about it, what higher acclaim could any of us have than to be recognized as a follower of Christ? doesn't matter what your education is, what you've accomplished. doesn't matter all the wonderful things that you have achieved in your lives. And I'm sure that there is so much of that in this congregation. You've all done great things and are continuing to do it. But out of all that, to be recognized as a follower of Christ, that's the thing. <coughs> One more story, and then I'm done, I promise. I was uh, Friday night into Saturday morning, early. I was at the hospital. And I was called to the intensive care unit and to, to be with a man who was taking his last breaths. And as I walked into the hospital room... After a while, you kind of take stock on what's there. It gives you it gives you clues as to who it is you're about to meet. And the things I noticed in walking into his hospital room is there wasn't any family. There wasn't evidence of any family. There was, the little couch on the side didn't have pillows or sheets. There weren't any books or iPads or any of the stuff that's usually there when people are visiting. Nothing. 
The only thing that was there was, was a shabby, gray, dirty backpack that was kind of in the corner. And I just made the assumption that those were his personal belongings. And as I looked at him, he was unresponsive. He was intubated, which means he had the, the breathing tube in him and the sum total of his earthly possessions as far as I knew were there on the floor in the corner and I looked at his chart and there was no next of kin listed there was no home address it just said homeless there was no phone number there was nothing in there that indicated that anyone at all cared about this individual for all I could tell, I was the sole companion that he would have as he transitioned from earth into eternity. And so I pulled a chair up to the bedside and I began to pray for him, not knowing whether he was a believer or not, not knowing if he, if he was saved or otherwise. They didn't know anything about him. The only thing that I knew was that he had value. He had sacred worth as a child of the Most High God. And so I prayed that he would be received into God's mercy and that at some point in this lonely man's life, he had made a choice for Christ. And after I prayed, I thought I would anoint him with oil. And so I took out this small bottle of oil that I carry with me and I anointed his forehead and his hands caught my attention. They were so, well, they were dirty and they were cracked and dry. And so I thought, I'll anoint his hands because clearly he has used them all his life. And I anointed his left hand with the oil and as I picked up his right hand to anoint it, I turned it over and there on the back of his hand was a crucifix tattooed in green ink. And under the crucifix were the words, Jesus saves. And so I traced the green ink of the tattoo with the oil on my finger. And I thank God for the gift of knowing with certainty that this man was soon to be with Jesus in paradise. Anything I may have brought into that hospital room that might have made me in this culture we live in seem like I was the superior person in that room from the world's perspective. My education, the fact that I most likely had more money and possessions than this man did. The fact that I, after I, I was done there, had a home to go home to. None of that mattered in that moment. All of that stuff, I had to count it all as loss compared to that moment where the Christ in me bonded with the Christ in him and we were brothers in Christ, nothing is more valuable than knowing Christ when it gets down to those moments when we take our last breath. And so as Paul says in Philippians, I'm not saying that I have this all figured out. I'm not saying that I have it Made. I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm on the journey. I'm reaching out for Christ who amazingly is 
every day reaching out for me and for you. I, I, by no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I do know that I have my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. He's drawing us to Jesus. And, and I'm off and running. I'm, I'm not turning back. I'm running the race with endurance. And I urge you to join in in that race if you're not already. Because when it gets right down to it, if you're going to build a resume, let it be a resume of encounters with the living Christ. If you're going to have a pedigree, let it be that you are a child of the Most High God, an heir to the kingdom, a royal priesthood. Let that be your... Can you imagine handing that resume to someone and letting them read it? Child of the Most High God. Heir to the kingdom of heaven. Member of the royal priesthood of God. Everything else I count as loss. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.